Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A. Recording this on Wednesday, November 2nd, have our cat Rocky walking back and forth actively beneath the microphone boom across the back of my chair. And yeah, uh, apparently it's a love Rocky afternoon because that's all he wants. How you doing, buddy? Uh, let's say a big thanks to you for the questions you send in every week. Our pal Jerry Siddeth, who puts them together for us, and also to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Going to jump right into the show here. Lots going on, believe it or not, despite uh, being a couple months now into the offseason. Tomorrow, for those who've been curious, I believe Jordan Darwin, you got a question about when will we know about the Indy Lights schedule. Uh Tomorrow will be a great day where an answer to that will be provided. Rumors of a name change for the series, which I know I've mentioned a couple times in recent months. Uh, we'll get an answer on that tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I'll leave that there. Uh, but anyways, yeah, uh, going to dive into our Twitter spaces show here in just about five, zero minutes. So, since I got the hashtag racing family show to do here with my man, Chris Wheeler, let's jump right in. And I can tell you for sure, we're going to need to do a, uh, LCQ episode this week, later this week, last chance questions for those that I just didn't have time to get to in this episode. So why don't we kick things off and say a thank you to, uh, let's see who is first on the question list. That would be Brian Cohn. Uh, yeah, it feels like this one's not going to go anytime soon. Uh, you say, I know this is a little late, but on a scale of one to 10, how pissed is Chip Ganassi that McLaren and Zach Brown stole NTT sponsorship and Tony Kanon? See, I'm guessing Chip is hovering around a 17. Any idea who might replace Kanon at Ganassi? If anyone, uh, it's funny. Uh, Paul Tracy texted me, I think Monday or Tuesday, whenever the news came out uh, about TK and NTT and just said what we've said and known for a little while, well, our favorite number one top spiciest dramas, uh, all the hate, all the you name it, funny how that's actually saved for IndyCar team owners and uh, team principals. Uh, it's not something that we have among drivers right now. So, yeah. Um I guess I'll pull out my first one Montoya. It is what it is. The NTT thing, I don't think that's a total surprise. Shouldn't have been. Had heard that there had been efforts early in the year trying to pitch NTT and moving over. Heard that this was supposed to be part of the Alex Pillow to McLaren package, right? Obviously, Alex uh, waiting another year to do that. But the NTT, the business side, uh, was indeed concluded. Uh, roll this in here, Brian, with a question from Raymond Wong next, and also our good pal Gavin Newton, um, asking about what might NTT in that absence, what kind of hole might there be for Ganassi to fill? How is that going to affect them? Do you think they might have another sponsor lined up? a number of questions along that theme um let me cover off the first part though that is what about Kanon? tony made himself available to chip to re-sign him for the 2023 indy 500 from what uh i guess you could maybe say the morning of may 30th the day after the 500 uh and all the months following and that was not done by chip and nor was there any promise that it would happen if we waited any longer into the off season. So Tony took not only what was, I believe the best offer placed in front of him, but also I would say arguably one of the best seats, uh, if not the best seat he can find for the 500, knowing that again, nothing was looking like Ganassi was going to put him into a fifth car. So Losing NTT for sure, not something any team would be happy to lose. Canon, you know, 
Tony's driven for a lot of teams in the past. He might drive for even more teams in the future after McLaren. Who knows? So that part's just kind of normal. We'll expect, though, that that's going to be a not good loss for Ganassi competitively and definitely a boost for Air McLaren SP chasing their first Indy 500 win. The NTT loss, though, from Ganassi is an interesting one, y'all, because if you look at how many races they were on the number 10 car in, what, 2021, and then this past season as well, roughly, I think it was nine races, maybe 10 races. I know uh, we've had some modified schedules over the last couple of years due to COVID, but if we think to this year where there was there's no changes, it was a full 17-race slate. Again, I think it was nine races, maybe 10, that NTT was there. That tells us that while we have associated them most heavily as the primary sponsor of that car, they have not been paying primary sponsor dollars. And that's, again, nothing critical against them, but just obviously since they haven't been on the 10 car as the one and only sponsor for the last two seasons, we've known that they have reduced their financial spend. What has that exact number financially been? And the rumors are three to four million a year. That's a great number for you and I and most normal folks who don't get paid millions from sponsors. But if you think of a uh, IndyCar team in 2022-2023, about the minimum you're going to find being spent, and this is really even getting like almost gone, about $6 million a year. It's more moving up into the six and a half to seven, seven and a half million per entry per year. There are others that are more, eight to 10, uh, 11 ish is about the peak that I've heard. So if you just think about the costs of this, say that, okay, NTT was paying a good amount, whatever that exact number might have been, certainly wasn't crazy dollars that are coming off the board for Ganassi or going to Air McLaren SP. How do we know that? Well, what did they confirm? About the same number of races on Felix Rosenquist's number six Chevy next year, 10 races uh, as it just had with Alex. So move, yes, not something Chip or anyone would have wanted. Huge financial drain. I don't think that would be an accurate way of portraying things. This should be something they can fairly easily fill. I have been told that they have indeed filled that space and have a replacement for NTT ready to go, ready to announce here in the coming weeks. So if we're keeping score, there have definitely been more wins in this back and forth between Chip and Zach. There have been more wins on the Zach and Aaron McLaren SP side than on the Chip Ganassi racing side. There's still time, y'all. Who knows what's next? Um, And as our boy PT said, yeah, uh, we got two team owners putting up all the TMZ-type drama. Uh, Let's buckle in for some more. Uh, Let's see. John Mylenic, how are you? You said last year you had an engineer in your show. His name escapes me who was working for an IndyCar team and accepted an offer to join an F1 team. Uh, Please provide an update on his year in F1. Uh, That would have been our pal Trevor Green Smith. Went to work as a performance engineer at Haas. I actually haven't caught up with Trev in a couple of months, but I did have a friend share a photo taken with him last weekend uh, out having some drinks, I believe, at the Mexican Grand Prix. And uh, good old Trev looked like he was in a, a fine state of enjoyment. Um, but yeah, uh, seems to be doing fine, but I do need to check in with him and just uh, say hello. Why do we go to Mike uh, Byler? Hopefully I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, Mike. If not, tell me how to do it better-er. MP, love the podcast. First time writing in. I love it, Mike. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm not sure if this has been mentioned inside uh, the paddock, but I feel like one windy car could attract new fans would be an F1 TV equivalent to offer. 
uh, the IndyCar races commercial free. I've heard plenty of race fans on social media say they don't watch IndyCar because of the ads. Uh, you also say, well, I understand how IndyCar pays the bills. Maybe they could offer a commercial free service through an IndyCar streaming app. I says, I know I ha- they have Peacock. But they could add this at a premium cost. Just want to see your thoughts on this. Uh, take care and I hope all's well. Thanks again for uh, writing in for the first time, Mike, and please keep doing so. Yeah, at least as I understand things, and this is maybe going way bigger picture than just commercial free. There's one large area that IndyCar team owners, and I would assume the series itself, aspires towards, Mike. It is to be paid and significantly paid by a television broadcaster for its content in the same way exact way nfl nba major league baseball etc gets billions of dollars a year from abc espn which is the same thing nbc cbs fox whatever i don't think we're ever going to be talking about indycar being paid billions of dollars like those giant stick and ball sports but there's a desire for sure for indycar and its teams to enrich itself by being so valuable to a broadcaster that the broadcaster pays the series real real significant dollars and for those dollars to then like all those big stick and ball sports to be passed on whatever that percentage is but passed down to the teams as it is right now there's only one form of funding coming to the teams all the teams and indycars you probably know independent right obviously roger penske owns the series and as of 2020 owns the series and owns a team but really the way it's structured it's unlike all the other major stick and ball sports that are connected to and properties, franchises belonging to that major sport. Uh, that's not the case here. So all of the business owners who happen to be IndyCar entrants, they are paying for everything. Uh, they're out of their pocket through sponsors, through drivers, a combination of the three. Most cases, it's strictly from sponsors and drivers very few i think dale coin is really one of the last to truly invest his own money annually his own business profits from other kind of brick and mortar businesses he owns mike um into his business you get the leader circle that's the one thing that comes in that helps uh, the top 22 entrants and it's limited to the top 22 it's about 1.2 ish million a year and it's basically guaranteed prize money. And it also comes with a obligation to turn up at every race. So it's not only divvying up prize money fund to those top 22, but it's also a guarantee for the series that, hey, if we're going to give you that money, we expect you to be at every round. That way we can tell all the promoters, yep, you're going to have a, a big solid field everywhere we go. Going back to that starting conversation of annual budgets pushing up to six and a half seven or more million dollars per year per entry hey it's awesome that the top 22 get that 1.2 ish million dollar leader circle contract but that still leaves a big number to find therefore the goal here coming back to the primary question of could indycar slash nbc or whatever future broadcaster go to a commercial free solution that folks pay for i think it's possible maybe maybe but i raise a bit of a question as to whether that's the way to go while the series and its entrance are looking to increase ratings increase value for advertisers have everything increase so that when it's time to negotiate next contract there can be a significant financial ask 
from the series that then gets filtered down to its entrance. If you're doing something that says, hey, advertisers, we're going to give an option for folks to just bypass you altogether, I don't know how that helps a series that is not huge and popular, like Formula One that you mentioned, one that is international, right? We're obviously domestic. We're on one channel. Uh, Very different from Formula One, travels the world, is broadcast on all kinds of different host nation channels, does have, as we see, uh, the Sky Sport F1, which becomes a service for English-speaking countries, if necessary, or whomever else. But it's just a very different dynamic. So I hear you. I mean, it's always a, a unique thing that is said more often than not it's from folks outside the u.s right uh hey what is all what are all these crazy commercials you put on during television shows and sports and you name it um we've now maybe spoiled some folks through the espn f1 deal where granted uh, i mean there are commercials um but it's not something where you know every seven minutes you're going to a commercial um i think that's spoiled things a bit but if There are true race fans, Mike, true race fans who are saying, oh, you know, if IndyCar got rid of the commercials, then I'd watch. I would probably argue that those are real race fans. If they are born and raised here or have been here in this country of ours for a long time, they would have to be accustomed to commercials being shown in pretty much everything. Uh, And I realize that these days, maybe linear televisions being watched less than it once was, uh, streaming being something that a lot of us spend far more of our time uh, locked in on, even their commercials seem to be uh, cropping up more and more. So again, I I hear it. I hear what they're saying. And yes, uh, the sweetheart of a deal uh, between ESPN and F1 is a great thing, but if they're actually saying, well, get rid of the commercials and then I'll watch, eh, I, don't know if, uh, I don't know if those are my people. I don't know if those folks are part of my tribe, Mike. I, I would question uh, how serious they are about their motor racing. So knowing the bigger agenda here that IndyCar and its teams are, are pushing for, this seems like that would actually set it back a bit. And unless we're talking about some crazy number being paid for a uh, – IndyCar TV equivalent or something like that, where you go, okay, that's crazy what folks are paying. That more than offsets um, the the loss of uh, advertising value. I just don't know if that would be something we see happen here anytime soon. Uh, Regular Monster, which is a great name, and congratulations, because if it was Irregular Monster, I would be... Uh, feeling somewhat sad for you. Um, You say, just seen the news that RLL have announced a fourth car for the Indy 500. Uh, I was under the impression that they struggled for staff this year. Has that changed recently? Um, Would say that there is a little bit of just a line of demarcation here, my regular monster, of mechanics not as much of a rare commodity engineers senior technical staff that's really the place where many teams are either hurting or struggling to find all the folks that they want one of the things the uh, rll team also known as bmw team rll uh, imsa program has done for quite some time is make use of its sports car staff uh, for the approximate two months in May to run an extra car. That's nothing new. That's something they've been doing for a super long time. So knowing that they have migrated to three full-time Indy cars, this, as I see and understand it, is nothing different than the practice they've done in the past. And so when we get to May... 
I'd be very surprised if my pal Brandon Fry, technical director of the uh, BMW GTP program there for RLL, also a mighty fine race engineer, um, will probably be seen helping to make a fourth car go very, very quickly. Uh, why do we go to Mitsuki Matsura? You say excited for Ryan Hunter Ray potentially joining RLL for that fourth Indy 500 seat. You say, do you think Ganassi slash Cadillac uh, would allow such a thing? Um, given that they prevented Sebastian Bourdais from potentially substituting for Jimmy Johnson at Long Beach this past season. That uh, Yeah, how's this? If Jimmy was unable to drive, I think we would have seen Sebastian in the car. Even though there was a lot of, hey, we really don't want this to happen, I still think that would have happened, uh, Mitsuki-san. So there's that. Uh, I haven't spoken with Mike Hole in a little bit, but I should ask him next time I do. I think the, the bigger question here, what does Ron hunter Ray want? Know that having lost his full-time seat in IndyCar at the end of 2021, didn't have much going for 2022. Picked up some sports car stuff, obviously endurance rounds and whatnot. Also signed as a test driver on the Cadillac side and as the reserve driver uh, for Ganassi in IMSA uh, and IndyCar. Those are all good things and potentially things I would think he could keep doing for many years to come i just don't know if ryan hunter ray is meant to be year after year a backup plan who doesn't do a lot of racing and is just kind of prepared to hop on a plane if someone gets sick or crashes their golf cart or whatever i just don't know if that's where he's at five years from now when he's what closer to 50 than 40 maybe but i do wonder mitsuki where where he's at in terms of what he wants not racing much i can tell you sure doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would make him happy so question for you rll's held on to jack harvey right they had a two-year contract finished the first Terrible year. We'll be back for a second. Hope that everything goes well. Hope, hope, hope. Truly. Let's say it doesn't. Let's say first couple of races, for whatever reason, things just continue going in the wrong direction. Is a change made? I don't know. If you have a guy, former RLL driver, Ryan Honoray, winner uh, of a well-remembered popular Watkins Glen victory for RLL back in what 2008 um, Indy 500 winner IndyCar Series champion I'm sure there are some younger drivers and next generation drivers who might get the nod if RLL gets into the new season for whatever reason decides they need to part ways with Harvey assuming they're contractually able to do so which direction do you go? If we're talking things go sideways after a couple of races and we're not at the month of May yet, uh, I mean, I know Hunter Ray's might already be signed to be that fourth driver. But just saying, coming out of the month of May, going into the month of May, um, I would sure be thinking hard about holding on to that guy. Uh, few scenarios I can see here where good old RHR could be especially valuable to the team depending on where things go and not just for the good old Indy 500. A pal right turn lover, an infrequent but appreciated contributor to the Weekend IndyCar show, often does so for the Weekend Sports Cars show. It says, well, turns out that I do have a question. RLL had my whelm on the under rather than the overside. How will adding a fourth car change this? Also, some long overdue well wishes to your wife, Shabrell, and your good self 
and your cats if need be. Well, Rocky's currently uh, sat his monkey arse down and is sleeping, and now I'm bothering him and waking him up because that's what you do. Um, team was not particularly amazing at the most recent Indy 500. Assuming someone of Ryan Hunter Ray's caliber, potentially, again, I'm just throwing out some other quality folks who could be on the, uh, on the market. A Jer Hildebrand, uh, Charlie Kimball, for example, right? In good equipment, Chuck is serious operator at Indianapolis. I don't know if he's going to win the race for you, but you use, when Charlie's got a good opportunity with a good team, you tend to know about him during that race. It's not like Graham Rahal doesn't know his way around Indianapolis. Uh, Lungard, obviously, I think did fairly well, but that guy's still learning. Harvey, uh, we know that he can be good at Indianapolis. My general mindset here, dear right-turn lover, is this. Since almost every team I can think of is really committed to getting better for next year, landing yourself a quality veteran who is known to run towards the front can maybe add some wisdom, add some new ideas, add maybe even a little bit of mentoring to some of the team's younger drivers. I see all those things as things to take your whelm on the over instead of underside. So I'd say this one's pretty darn smart. If they were to have gone into the next Indy 500 just as they were, I don't think they'd be in bad shape. But uh, yeah, I don't think they would be posing as strong of a uh, effort as they could. Would we go to Chaparral 2J? Hey there, Chaparral. Even though the new engine formula will have an increase in horsepower, will it be sufficient to offset the weight of the hybrid unit on the ovals? Uh, or should we expect slower qualifying speeds at Indy, given that the hybrid advantage in putting down power won't matter much on a flat-out qualifying lap at the Speedway? I got a couple other questions, so let me answer that first. I mean, I don't know, because we haven't seen it run on the oval yet. So, in theory... Adding extra weight to a car and then having some extra power added to that car, it's all on the ratio, right? (laughs) Um, If you add far more weight than power, it's obviously going to go slower. If the ratio of power to weight is more favorable, it should go faster. We're going to have to see where they end up here, what they end up deciding to do. Um reason that they went for a super capacitor instead of a battery for the uh, ERS system is because it is much faster to charge. That means we would expect, assuming full ERS power is engaged for qualifying runs, that the cars would have that 100 horsepower boost to use at least to start um, the first lap of qualifying, or do you save it for later? Uh, if you have a slight mistake coming off of turn, wherever on lap, whatever it is of the four, do you use that as a corrective thing? How is that deployed again? Is that a strategy or do you use that on the last lap where quite often tires have just given up a little bit of their peak performance and we tend to see at minimum the last lap, if not the last two laps, drop slightly from the first two again who knows do you use all of it do you use 25 percent on the first lap other another 25 the second again i don't know um i'm not sure what the strategy might be we also know that uh, as i wrote uh we're going to have the uh the handbrake the fiddle brake attached to the steering wheel that drivers grab with their uh, fingers to squeeze usually keeping a couple fingers on the steering wheel and then one or two others to squeeze that regeneration paddle. It does drag the brakes. It does slow the car a tiny bit, but it also helps to recharge while on the fly. 
What's the trade-off? These are, again, things we don't know. How much of a braking or slowing uh, force does it have? Is it, whoa, he was just doing 240 on the straight. She was just doing 229 through the corner and then grab the uh, grab the handbrake there to charge. And, oh, we saw, is it a two-mile-an-hour drop? Is it a 10? Again, things we don't know. Uh, because these are still things IndyCar has to decide how it's going to be used, how it won't be used, etc. So it's hard to say at this point in time. If the loss in speed isn't too much, could you see drivers regening a bit during their run to try and give themselves more boost, right? If we assume that they go out with full 100% charge, again, do you use that all at once? Do you break that up over the laps? Do you try and regen so even though you would, in theory, deplete it, you'd have a little bit more to you? Again, we don't know. So that one's hard to answer uh, at this stage, but we will obviously have an answer here sometime soon. Underlying point, though, anytime you add weight, I mean, it's you're just <laughs> you're dragging something around that's, uh, yeah, not as light and as nimble as others. But once you get that thing up and moving uh tends not to be as crazy crazy uh of a limitation as we think it might be since there is some added power factored in uh you also say with the weight of the hybrid unit at the rear of the car might we see drivers having to lift going into turns one and three at the speedway uh if so might that make qualifying more interesting than say just the flat out laps like we've seen there for decades there is meant to be a fresh front wing design. I don't know if it's going to be a hundred percent new Chaparral 2J, or if it's just going to be a, a more powerful variation of what we have now. But I do know that IndyCar, while understanding that we are bolting on a decent chunk of added weight to the back without a chunk of added weight at the front to balance things, that aerodynamically, uh, that might need a little bit of uh, resolution to use air, use downforce up front to undo that seesaw thing with the back of the car, squatting down a little bit more, and to actually use more front speedway downforce as a bit of a, a lever effect to bring that balance back to more uh, central than uh, falling towards the back. So. That's yet another one. Can't answer it right now, but yeah, with no change, probably. Um, but with a, uh, a modified, more powerful front wing, uh, we could indeed just continue seeing being flat out as we have. Uh, Jamie Rowe. How you doing, Jamie? I'm going to take a sip of coffee here. So you saw R.C. Enerson tweet the other day about opportunities in 23. See any uh, insight on what could happen for him? Um, didn't see the tweet. Not a big deal. Spoke with his dad, R uh, R C. Good lord, his father Neil. Uh, I think the beginning of last week, while I was uh, putting the finishing touches on the Indy 500 entry list story that went up, I think on Friday. Um, had most of that done a couple weeks ago, but there's still a couple things I had to. Uh, get some clarity on and wait for a couple other things to uh, develop before publishing that. Uh, and in there was a call to uh, the Enersons to get a feel for exactly what you're talking about here. Um, have heard, had heard that there were multiple inquiries about the chassis that they bought and own. And yeah, Neil did confirm that, yep, they have had folks asking if they can buy, if they can lease, if they can do whatever to which he has politely declined all uh, advances there. It's a little little hard. Last time we spoke to get a, a 100% feeling on what they were wanting to do with the cars, he gave me some of that clarity, if not all the clarity, so I now fully understand that, that yes, they do indeed still want to go racing next year with RC in the car that they own. They can supply that car, I think most, if not all, the pit equipment, transporter. They got a lot of assets. They're just not really in the mood for running it themselves. So 
according to Neil, perfect scenario would be they could find a budget and present the budget, RC, car, and whatever else to a team. Um, team had a budget. Someone wanted to sponsor RC even better. But yeah, uh, I think they have the ability to put a little bit of money together. Not sure if that's enough money for a team to say, yep, that's plenty. We're going to go take all the things and run them for you. So yeah, it's just a little, a little bit of a different approach here, Jamie, right? Most teams have all the assets would like to just charge a pretty decent number to run any driver. The impression that I get is, well, could we replace those with ours and maybe, you know, the price comes down a bit because you don't need all that stuff and to put mileage on your stuff and you could put mileage on our stuff. And it's a little, a uh, little bit of a different approach here. Do I think it's going to happen? I don't know. I mean, I really don't. Money is the, the central driving point uh, of this whole thing. I believe that if a team in search of newer, younger talent said, hey, we'd like to go test, uh, I think they would be pleasantly, pleasantly surprised at how good RC happens to be. He's obviously done a couple of IndyCar races, impressed me, uh, and, and I think others in a couple of those as well, but he's still really young, but it feels like he's been around forever. I guess he has, but yeah, he's also in a little bit of a weird place career-wise, Jamie, where, again, I think if some teams who are on the search for some fresh talent in the next year or two or whatever else, I don't know if he just needs a good PR rep. I don't know if he just needs to spend a lot more time in the IndyCar paddock uh, bugging people making sure that they know he's there and thinking of him and wanting to give him a run. I think if they were to do that, uh, I, I don't think the kid would be unemployed for too long. But as for him having lots of money to bring to someone or to pay to someone to run him in his own car, yeah, that, that's where I just see things as being a little bit of a challenge. Uh, let's see, our pal Lalo Ortiz Cardenia says, Marshall, hope you're fine and hope your wife is doing better. Thank you, brother. Said, given Pato's popularity with the crowd last week, the Mexican Grand Prix, shown in all of his posts and all the Aaron McLaren SP posts, do you think there's a, enough arguments that could finally convince the IndyCar series it could have a successful race in Mexico? Say maybe Mexico City uh, on the F1 circuit? If not, what do you think is still missing? <sighs> Motivation? Bravery? I don't know. Uh, th this circles back to a overarching problem that I've written about recently in the mailbag and we've spoken about here in the podcast um, in the past as well. At least under Penske Entertainment's ownership, there's just not a lot of desire and, and willingness to stray out of very comfortable lanes doing big things, committing to big things. Just doesn't seem to be much of a stomach for it. We've heard for a couple of years now, right? All centered around Pato. Hey, people love this kid. Let's go race where he's from. And hey, IndyCar has been loved there multiple times in the past, right? Whether it's named the various series, Champ Car slash Cart slash USAC, whatever. Not like we'd be going for the first time. Had some really strong success stories in the past. Why isn't this happening? Again, great questions. I know Mark Miles has said and others have said this is nothing new. Folks in IndyCar saying, hey, we really do need to try and get something going in Mexico. Think about Mexico. Make something happen in Mexico. When everybody mutually agrees that this makes sense and then you don't see it happen, I just, I scratch my head and go, what are we not seeing? What do we not understand? Because if it all makes, if it makes sense to all of us. So 
I know that in the here's what the IndyCar schedule is going to look like stories that I wrote before the official schedule came out. One of them said that IndyCar wants to grow by one race each year, at least over the next two seasons. This is talking about beyond 2023. 2024, do we add something at Milwaukee or similar? 2025, could that be the first time we head to Mexico? Hopefully, possibly. Um, just seems like we're always a couple years late, if not a decade late or more late to things. But yeah, um, that's kind of the story. So don't have an immediate answer as to why things aren't happening at a faster rate. Uh, I could probably use that explanation for a lot of things. Uh, let me see. I've got about 10 minutes here. So where shall I? I'm going to work backwards from the red line of death. So, Jerry, I'll get to as many as I can going backwards here. Uh, but let's pull uh, your favorites from below the red line of death. And I look down, and there are some really good ones. So uh, that's just another way of saying don't be sad if your question has not been posed during this episode because it'll be uh, covered off here most likely on Friday. Uh, why don't we go with our pal Peter Nutt from the land of halls, Hall Land. It says, well wishes to your wife and the cats first. Uh, as a former journalist, Max Verstappen's sky comments raised an eyebrow or two referring to Max and the Red Bull team boycotting Sky's Formula One coverage for critical comments made about them. And yeah, uh, you say, I wonder what's the most indecent question you've ever witnessed in a motorsports press conference? Uh, we don't get a bunch of those over here. We don't get a bunch of like harebrained folks or drunk folks. I can't recall one drunk person uh was that petite lamont maybe 2013 2014 i don't know might have even been after that but uh the media center uh at road atlanta is right across the main bridge that folks would take to walk to and from uh pit lane in the paddock and so race was over and folks are walking across that to uh leave and i guess nobody was on the door to the media center and a fairly well inebriated person walked in while press conferences were going on and it's not uncommon to have whomever is hosting it's usually a pr rep from the racing series to ask uh, folks to raise their hand ask a question and when they do to you know please cite your name and in your outlet it's usually done uh, for the transcript that they put together so folks know who's asking what question. That didn't happen here. Um, hey, does anybody have any any questions? And drunk guy that none of us recognized uh, as a member of the media was given the mic. And I think it was a, the, a rain-shortened race. Must have been maybe 2015 then. And uh, just started kind of laying into the series and the drivers a little bit about, you know, do you think it's fair to the fans and what the heck and why? And all of a sudden it was just like, huh? It was pretty clear that guy wasn't uh, actually a member of media and they took the mic from his hand and escorted him out. And that was pretty funny. Um, indecent is an interesting one. Uh, I'm forgetting the exact question that was asked, but I do remember i think it was houston indycar like 2013 2014 something like that um there was yeah there was someone who asked like a crazy loaded question uh to takuma sato who if i recall was still a aj foyt racing driver at the time and whomever this air quote media person was um they just really wanted to share all of their negative opinions for Takuma in the supposed form of a question. So I think he might have been on poll. Um, obviously, he was there in the press conference, so he'd done something well or to a high degree. And whomever it was that asked just laid in, you know, laid into him. And you know, what is it about all the crashing and? 
you know, and why, and what are the reasons behind? And if, have you ever thought about it and just kept kind of going on and on and on, and I, and again, I forget the exact year, but I believe he was on poll. So this might, yeah, I think it was him sitting in the, the post qualifying press conference as the poll winner being decently berated by somebody who I don't know if I recall who they were, but they weren't a regular member of the traveling IndyCar media. And I think the mic was taken out of their hand. I know that I said something very unkind to them um, uh, at a fairly loud volume. And they tried to restore a little bit of order, but it was just... I mean, look, back then in particular, Takuma ran into a lot of stuff. So it's not like there was no grounds for asking such a question of Takuma. It seems like... Uh, either have amazing highs like this with pole position or then there are you know some other events where things don't go the way you'd like and and often end in some sort of contact is there um, have you ever been able to figure out what it is if there's any common threads between the two or is there how does such a thing happen Um, not saying that's the question i would ask or i would hope anyone would ask talking to the pole sitter for the race but if you're going to try and construct such a thing, that might be the way to do it. Some sort of help us to understand the highs and lows because it's not common for a driver to routinely have highs and lows at such a, a regular frequency. But that wasn't what happened. It was just basically tearing into the guy. And this, as I mentioned, came at a time where he was you know, still hitting a lot of things and making a lot of bad decisions. But where this just felt indecent was here we are, Houston, IndyCar race, home state, home-ish location of the AJ Foyt racing team. Takuma's on pole. And this is certainly something to celebrate. And here you are just getting the knives out on the guy. It was just so ill-placed and everything else yeah um i remember shouting at the person and i don't recall if i saw them again for the rest of the weekend but yeah that might be the number the one that stands out the most uh riley stricker you say marshall what of tatiana calderon's current future uh and her status you say with the rocket mishaps where did she go she's still backed by them hopefully she's still racing at least um you say, and if she's backed by money, could a fourth Ganassi seat be an option? Uh, yeah, they, they trust me. If they failed to pony up something like the rumored $8 million, I forget whether I, it was six or eight, owed to uh, the Foyt team for last year, uh, I'm not exactly sure how they'd come up with the rumored 10. Ganassi is asking for that fourth car, Riley. So, yeah. Um, I do believe she went and did one or more F2 races but I don't, I don't know if she's doing more than that just because I haven't looked lately. So, And I also don't know if Rocket is still behind her. So, yeah, hard to answer about her status today or the future. She and I haven't caught up in a couple of months, um, but I know it was awesome the last time that I saw her because she's just really cool. Uh, let's see. SRT Nick 12, this might be the last one I can get to for this episode. MP, it's reported that Herta is now making double the next highest paid driver in IndyCar. Yes, I'm the one who reported it. Uh, will his new contract influence the driver market? Will, say, a driver like Will Power be asking for what Herta is paid? Or is the Herta contract an outlier? Wrote about that in today's edition of the Racer Mailbag. Nick, so uh, I don't mind sharing some of that because obviously you sent this in before that came out. I don't think it's going to change things much, but I do things it'll do think it'll change things a little. Um, where this is very unique to Colton and makes this an outlier is that he is the most valuable asset Andretti Autosport has, specifically in IndyCar, but maybe across all of its various racing series. If it were to get into F1, however that happens. He's their guy. He's their lead driver. Uh, Whatever it is that they're going to do, 
at the cutting edge, he is their driver. And so that is where paying him like an IndyCar driver, I think that mindset is what changed. Uh, hey, we need to just treat him as our global number one star and talent, and we're going to make sure that he has no desire to go anywhere else. I would also have to say his father, who I believe does his negotiating for him, I'm going to have, if assuming Brian did that, I'm going to have Brian negotiate everything for me going forward because, holy cow, that's a big number. Um, I do think other drivers in the Colton Herta realm of talent will be pushing team owners at their next contractual um, fork in the road to say, hey, uh, yep, value in the market's gone up. I want to be paid more. Do I think we're talking about a bump of more than 500000 to a million? No. Most high-quality drivers, race-winning-ish drivers, uh, minimum $2 million. Two to three. Three and a half is about the peak that I've heard. Maybe that three and a half is, is a really good base salary. Um, and you can get to three and a half with uh, bonuses for championships, or 8,500 win or uh, multiple victories per year. But yeah, somewhere in the two to three and a half range is where you'll find most of the elite drivers in IndyCar. I would hope uh, this indeed moves the numbers up for the others because I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what it is that they're getting paid right now. Uh, it's not enough. Um, I wish every team had the budget to pay uh, like Colton Hurt is receiving. So, um, yeah, I'd be really good if this uh, really did lead to others uh, dining a little bit more on uh, the budgets and getting paid a higher sum that they are valued. But no, this is not going to knock everyone else up to uh, to crazy, you know, close to, uh, you know, six, seven million dollars a year. All right, y'all, that's the show we got for now. Uh, I'm going to do your LCQ here. Uh, what? We'll do this here probably Friday or so. And uh, there's one question I think I failed to get to, Jerry, from AJ Hahn. Um, and also into the when is verse and Jamie Dolinger uh, in the main questions that I didn't get to. So if you could roll those into LCQ plus some of your other favorites uh, that we didn't get to below the red line of death. Take care of that in our next episode. Thanks, y'all, for listening. I'm Marshall Pruitt. This is our Marshall Pruitt podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com.